Hello, everybody. Welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. Ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy today, because today we return to one of the most celebrated works of epic fantasy currently ongoing in the world today. There's not many of these left, you know, you've got your Game of Thrones, you've got your King Killers. And then you've got this. Right. Those are ongoing, aren't they? Technically. <laughs> oh, they're ongoing. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if you want to say this But what's exciting is... about this one is it's ongoing and there's right. like deadlines and progression bars and a strong yes. confidence that it will continue. I'm, of course, referring to the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. That is exactly what we're going to be discussing today, mm-hmm. but not just any installment <laughs> of the Stormlight Archive by Brendan oh. Sanderson. We're <laughs> well done. Uh, we're going to be talking about Words of Radiance. That's book two in this series, and you know we had a ton of fun talking about book one, Way of Kings. Uh, that was a, a while back now, back over the summer. And we had Stephen from Phantology on, who mm-hmm. is awesome, me. super knowledgeable about the Cosmere and about these books in general. Now Charles and I are braving the Cosmere, <laughs> just the two of us. Uh, we We are far from experts in the Cosmere. We should probably clear <laughs> that up on top. We've read... Uh, we've read a decent amount of the Cosmere. Uh, I think, yeah. I mean, especially me, not, not to <laughs> brag, uh, but we, you know, we're far from the people who have gone through, poured through all of this, gotten super invested in the copper mind or and anything like that. We're, uh, uh, but uh, we are big fans of Brandon Sanderson and his work, and we're hoping to dive into this one and share our enthusiasm about we have opinions this. guys really interesting we do have ones. opinions <laughs> do we <laughs> the, the, I hope the so. level of interest remains to be seen mm. but we do have opinions so anyway without uh, further ado maybe i'll just give the spoiler warning and we can dive in yeah let's do it yeah. all right well we're going to be talking about Words of Radiance, book two of the Stormlight Archive, uh, with no holds barred for the first two books. So just up to this one, uh, if you haven't yet read Way of Kings and Words of Radiance, then uh, now is a good time to turn this down in your headphones, because uh, here come some spoilers for those two, but... If you haven't read past Words of Radiance, that's okay. We won't be spoiling anything beyond that. Very well said, Dylan. I have not read past Words of Radiance. I know you have. So you have but, um, It is impossible for me to spoil this series because I have no idea what's coming up. But I do know what's in front of us right now. And what's in front of us right now is a behemoth of a book. I just want to put into context here. This book is 398,000 uh, words 
1,088 <laughs> pages. It feels like that many pages. 105 <laughs> chapters, and that includes a prologue, 14 interludes. 14 interludes. And an epilogue, 21 <laughs> POV characters, and 178 POV changes. That's an insane yes. undertaking in this book alone. What's interesting, yeah, what's interesting is, though, if you remove all the instances in which a character refers to Shalon as clever or witty, it actually brings it down to 852 pages, Charles. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, there you go. It becomes a, <laughs> I need to get that um, uh, edited version, <laughs> but I wouldn't want to miss it. And um, if you take out any mention of poop, it becomes one page less than that. So there you go. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> that is fair. Which is not a lot what, of words, but maybe about it's a little bit one too ourselves many. <laughs> in, uh, uh, in shard plate. Is that the... Yeah. yeah. I mean, not not the strongest uh, exchange in all of Sanderson's work. I, I don't think that conversation... I don't hate but, it. But, well... Maybe because I was a little That's... curious, but, you know. We'll, we'll get into our <laughs> opinion on um, <laughs> Sanderson's dialogue, which... Um, Sanderson has many strengths, many, many strengths, but dialogue for me has always been one that I've had to like warm up to when I go back to a Sanderson novel after taking a break. You know, we read some people, some authors that write incredible dialogue, you know, we're talking about Abercrombie and um, we just read Fonda Lee's work in Jake City. Put respect on his name. What did I say? Just Abercrombie? Just Abercrombie. Oh. So I'm just thinking there's a lot of Sanderson fans that aren't huge fantasy Mr. fans in Joe general. So just hear Abercrombie, the they're going to think about mm-hmm. clothing. And, you know, yeah. we read Jade City by Fonda Lee and just a couple other different series before, in between our read of uh, the first book, The Way of Kings, and the second book, uh, with Words of Radiance. So coming back into Sanderson, always an exciting moment, but also like a little bit of an adjustment for me. But it's interesting reading his like latest series, right? And we were talking about this right before coming on the air too. It's like this is like Sanderson's described it as his magnum opus, right? He's, he's come up, he mm-hmm. was writing, uh, he f- helped finish, famously finish Wheel of Time. And he has the, you know, the Mistborn trilogy and he's always expanding the world of Mistborn and he's got a bunch of fantastic series behind him built a huge fan base and now he's like this one is for me and this is my magnum opus and this is everything that like excites me about fantasy writing and I'm putting it into this work and this is going to be the big giant masterpiece and coming from a author as prolific as Sanderson that's a big thing when it's like this is going to be even bigger and already he's delivering with his massive tomes door stoppers of books mm, I believe I've heard him call them chihuahua killers as well <laughs> I haven't heard that one that's funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> this would definitely kill so, a chihuahua <laughs> if it yeah, fell like do on not, the table like yeah, six feet <laughs> do not leave Right, exactly. Do not leave this on the edge of a table if you own a chihuahua, because <laughs> they they could end up in danger. Toy poodles, you don't kittens, want that to puppies, hamsters, any small animal. Ferrets. Yes. Ferrets. But despite the fact that 
he's prioritized writing these books for himself. He's let himself indulge in ways that he definitely would not in a lot of the other books that he has thought to just try to make the reading experience as easy as possible. In this one, yeah, the first book, he basically starts with like a prelude and then a prologue and go through all that. And in this book, Words of Radiance, he has all those interludes that you mentioned, and they'll just throw us into a whole different setting with characters we're completely unfamiliar with. And even you get through the whole book and you still don't know why some of those were relevant at all but you in sanderson we trust of course because he's shown us time and time again that he has the ability to take all these disparate threads and pull them together in an extremely Mm -hmm. satisfying way and he definitely does that again with with words of radiance uh generally speaking he's uh, got a, a wonderful conclusion to this one Indeed, and as indulgent as the series may feel, it's also his most celebrated at the same time. Uh, yes. I know a lot of fans consider this to be his best work, and I can see why his enthusiasm is really shining through on these. And when you've like followed Sanderson over the decades, and you you know fell in love with Mistborn, I mean those books are relatively tight and constrained, especially compared to uh, the Stormlight Archive. Uh, to watch him just like. Like he's bought so much goodwill and he's delivered, as you've said, on so many fantastic reading experiences that he's like, now let me challenge you even more. Let me make this these worlds even bigger and let me bring you into this wider adventure. And coming from the way of kings and going through Words of Radiance, that world really does open up. I feel like Words of Radiance kind of opens the world even wider than way of kings was i feel like there's a lot more going on here to like what you alluded to dylan of the the increasing interludes of random pov characters and we're getting all these characters together but there's all these greater mysteries going on magical abilities and all these other things are growing and growing and we're along for their ride and like it's sanderson we trust we've i've always felt that way i have more confidence than him than men than like almost any other fantasy writer in the game because he just knows how to take his fantasy mind and bring us all into it and still deliver on the reading experience so we should kind of get into the words of ratings a little bit to kind of back up that claim because i think we're both on the same page there um this book like you had pointed out dylan and i didn't realize it and i see it's written like in all the bios and stuff that every book in the series so far has like a the flashback character i guess is that what Mm -hmm. we're calling it (laughs) a main character we can call it that people will know what we mean which is that each book takes a particular character and allows them to get their past fleshed out through these uh, uh, flashback scenes so if we want to call them flashback characters the first book we had kaladin and we got a lot of his history fleshed out. In this book, we get Shalon as a person who receives the spotlight in that way. Exactly. And that's an interesting take. I kind of like the use of flashbacks as like the backbone of a book. And it's like, oh, this is this character and this is that character. It's an interesting approach. And I guess when you have a book as 
sprawling as this one with as many characters as this one has it, it, it's kind of interesting to see different characters take the spotlight like i really enjoyed kaladin's background i thought the themes mm. in that were very strong and getting to kind of watch kaladin getting challenged in a lot of ways and, and trying to be honorable and trying to do the right thing while also like killing people and things like that it, it was a tough balance for him and um that was a strong part of the way of kings and now you have shallan who has been kind of it's interesting for her because her main point of view she's kind of repressed all these memories about her like tragic upbringing and it's not till the end of the book that you figure out these things that she kind of ignores in the present day but are so informative all these tragedies that she's experienced and that was just mm -hmm. a really interesting extra dimension to the character that we wouldn't have gotten just from her pov today being able to look back and watch her like with her abusive father and with her brothers and how she was like quiet for a long time and learned her voice and then we know who she is today and how much she's had to change to get there it's it's fascinating it's an interesting little plot device it is fascinating and it does keep us grounded in one character's story in a way that is important in a book, like you said, that's so sprawling with all of these different characters. And Shallan's an interesting one. She's the character of the the main of the main point of views, which I, I would say that's Kaladin, that's Shallan, and that's Dalinar. Those are mm -hmm. the big three here. And of those, she's the character that receives the most hate, if you will, or, or at least flack. Mm -hmm. uh, she, yeah, and... I see the critiques. I even made one of them earlier in the book. <laughs> you do like, see it, huh? Uh, Interesting. <laughs> yes, I do. And uh, I think that I, I don't hate Shalon as a character. There are things I like about her. And then of the things that I don't love, <sighs> Sanderson has this habit of... I guess just telling us over and over again when his it's almost always he's like witty female characters. That's mm -hmm. a th a theme uh, among uh, Sanderson's uh, writing for whatever reason. Um, you you definitely see it in Elantris, which I don't think you've you've I've read. Not read Elantris, Elantris yet. Elantris, no, I haven't. Elantris, yeah, I think that's the correct pronunciation. But yes, Elantris. Um, you you do see it in Warbreaker as well, which is one that you have read, Charles. And mm -hmm. yeah. now you see it here in the Stormlight Archive and especially in this book. And I think, I don't know, like Sanderson kind of has a generally like, to me, feels like corny sense of humor. <laughs> and then it's fine like it's actually right. funny sometimes but right. where his strength does not lie is in these like funny little clever quips like that's i just don't think that's his sense of humor as much right. uh so it's like almost like dad humor i guess which <laughs> is how sanderson writes so uh and he is a dad so that makes that's sense true. but that makes sense i would agree yeah but Jalan is not a dad and everyone keeps telling her how 
clever and witty and smart and all this stuff she is. And it just feels very tell over show, right? And that's like writer's rule number one is show don't tell. It's like you think of a character like Tyrion in Game of Thrones. It's not us hearing all the time like, ho, 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 Tyrion, there you go with your clever quips and one-liners again. It's just us hearing him make clever quips and one-liners and being like, oh, this character is super clever. So... That's one of the weaker points of Shallan. I, I do want to get into the stronger points, but I, I'm sure you'll have things to say on this this whole topic. Before, and we'll get back to some of the stronger points yeah, after. Charles. I've always, and we've talked about this before on the show, even as far back as like our first episode when we did uh, Mistborn. It's when you know Sanders, Sanderson. Uh, I love so many of his characters, but that one kind of style of his for when he writes clever. It to me, it's like it, it it takes me out of it a little bit when he's writing the clever dialogue because it's always like witty thing and then wordplay on witty thing and then wordplay on witty thing. And it's like no two people mm. would ever talk this way, and I don't even think what they're saying is anything particularly clever. A lot of the times, like it's like oh, you you repeated what I said and you twisted it a little bit, like. It's just kind of annoying. It's, it's like anyone can do that. It doesn't make you clever. Like what makes you clever is your ability to solve problems or figure people out or this or that. And those things I'm much more interested in than the like one-lining each other for dialogue. It's also very similar to how he writes flirting. Like f- flirting is this <laughs> exchange of air quote clever witticisms. And you're watching <laughs> this happen and you're like, okay, well... These characters, I guess, are flirting right now. Um, that's interesting. And I'm reminded, I'm brought back to like the noble parties in Mistborn when Vin was um, interrogating uh, Ellen Venture and like those dialogue exchanges of them just like making fun of each other. And he, uh, so it's kind I actually of like cute. that relationship. It's yeah, cute. It can be cute. Vin. It can be endearing and cute. So, that's a little. Sp- spoilery maybe for that we won't tell you where that relationship goes but no no uh, just two characters they do have exchanges you'll know other. what charles is yes yeah. you'll know that pretty quick and miss right 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 yeah but i, yeah, I won't i won't talk anymore but go on charles <laughs> but i'll say that comes up in this book quite a bit it comes and because shallan is such a clever character and this is shallan's book so to speak it happens a lot. And because this book is a thousand pages and almost 400,000 words, <laughs> it happens a lot. And you're like, she's doing all these interesting things. She can draw. She can, you know, talk to this Sprenish character. And she can do all of the, the pattern, I should say. And um, yes. she can do all of these interesting things. And her backstory is super interesting too this is someone that yes, killed both of her parents <laughs> like this is right someone that, that is all like, both of her parents and never thinks about it like cold-blooded so it's like this is yeah, an interesting that's character. metal that is <laughs> as metal as it gets man like come on so i'm like where is yeah. all of that like why aren't we talking about this and it takes to the end of this book to the scenes where she's killing her dad and i'm like go sanderson i didn't know you had this in you because it's so long now we've been like out clevering this person and out clevering that person and and um uh, flirting with this person and flirting with that person and talking to pattern and you're like okay 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 
it's like, oh, and now I'm going to strangle my dad. And you're like, oh, interesting. <laughs> I like this. Let's do more <laughs> of this, please. You know, it's something interesting. Yeah. And the point of the character, for sure, as you alluded to, is her denial of mm-hmm. the uh, all these horrible things that she's been through and done in her mm-hmm. past. So we don't get a lot of that in her present. And in her present, she's... She's almost intentionally, I don't want to say a shell of a person, but <laughs> she's intentionally uh, depicted in a way where she's not willing to evaluate herself at length in depth. Mm-hmm. And she wants to keep things very surface level, like, oh, let's make a little joke out of this. Let's smile. Right. Let's banter. And that is her way of coping. It's very different yeah. from what we got from uh, Kaladin in the previous book where he is he's a dweller right he yeah. is someone who ruminates about his past and he uh, really gets down on himself and overthinks all these things so he's they're very opposite in that way mm-hmm. um, but Sanderson pulls off the I guess is it a twist? Is it fair to call it a twist if it's something in her backstory? Like I think that? so. The way it's told, yeah, it's like this big reveal. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty savage, but really awesome, I think, mm-hmm. how he writes that she killed both of her parents, especially it's like the dad, you can kind of see maybe that's where things were heading, but the mom is a surprise because it's always played like, oh, his dad was such a violent guy. And, uh, right. you know, it's like, it okay, seems she like killed he, her dad. That's everyone's... pretty bad. But you didn't realize that she had already yeah. killed her mom way before that. And you're right. like, oh, it's like, yeah. interesting. And, and it flips the dynamic yeah. from like other people like her defending her dad and not, making it all about how like oh my god he killed my mom what a bad person which we're kind of taking for granted as readers Mm -hmm. that that probably is what happened Mm -hmm. and then we find out that actually it's been her dad this whole time protecting her by not saying when all these rumors are abound that he killed his wife at no point does he try to you know turn it toward shallan which is the truth. And then we put together that, oh, wow, she killed the guy who's been sticking up for her in that way for this long. So it makes all of it so complex and interesting. And that's the strength of Shalon as a character in her story. And, you know, as much as we were ragging on her constant one-liners, it is a good, like, I wish there was a bit more of a clear connection that that was, like you're saying, doing, like, putting up walls, kind of coping with her repressed memories of the horrible things that she's done with her to her family it's like oh now i'm just constantly speaking surface level witticisms because i don't want to dig any deeper i'm afraid what i might find if i start to think about stuff and dwell on stuff so it is an interesting character trait for someone that has tried to repress their past and some of these stronger feelings um but I don't know. And, I, and there's also a couple of this Charles, naivete, too. Go ahead. Yeah, we'll get into the, the naivete for sure. I think that it's 
Sanderson conveys it relatively well when you're seeing Shallan from Calden's point of view mm-hmm. and when they're in the chasm and she's in his head she's like this smiley like oh nothing's gone wrong in my life because i'm a noble and uh you know i'm a bright eye so i i couldn't possibly have suffered anywhere near in the way that you have kaladin Mm -hmm. um that's how he's perceiving her and then he kind of comes around to understanding oh like she's just putting on a smile like she's actually a really in his eyes anyway, like strong person for being able to power through all this and smile and laugh. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's some moments, I don't have the exact quotes, but where he's like, how do you smile through all that? And she's like, well, otherwise I'll go crazy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) so it's, it's in there. It's a little bit more in the subtext, um, but, but maybe for Sanderson, it's better when he, he he keeps it somewhat subtle Mm -hmm. like that, because I think, when he strays it it is when he tries to like beat you over the head with like don't you see this character's like this so yeah. it's like i do like i'm, for uh, I'm glad you brought up that scene of Calden and shallan in the chasm because that was a very strong interesting scene for me and i knew right away when they met and Calden was like i hate her i'm like oh they're going to like develop feelings for each other like i can almost i'll almost guarantee it and so they just need that excuse right they need that thing that forces them together and and this idea that they were the only two that could survive this fall into the chasm because they could both um they could both use stormlight which was a kind of funny interaction between the two of them because they were both so quick to get away with the fact that they use stormlight that they didn't question why the other person also survived they're like oh, well they shoot, both they don't... were like i don't know how i saved this other person but i guess i did <laughs> they're both like oh what a relief she doesn't realize yeah. <laughs> that i did this thing yeah. and they're willing to kind of not scrutinize the situation because they feel like they got away with it right so that was a really funny um convincing layer of of intrigue there to keep the two of them kind of clueless about their powers which um, when Shallan takes out the um, uh, sword blade later, uh, I, that, that was so much fun. But shard blade, I mean shard sword blade. blade. <laughs> shard blade. Uh, that was a lot sword of blade. You know, think that sword blade thing <laughs> and then st- stabs the like b- giant bug thing. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah. I like those. We scenes. said we aren't Cosmere experts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we weren't kidding. <laughs> We were not kidding. Yep. But, um, but no, that's a good scene. Because Chasm Fiend. Critic- we Chasm do know that. Hey, we got it. <laughs> because they're very um, skeptical of each other and they call each other out. And it's almost kind of cathartic for me in some ways. I'm like, okay, I can start to like, now that they've acknowledged these faults in each other, I feel like I can move on a little bit with these characters. And I did kind of buy that they were winning each other over and, and kind of developing this this bond between them not only through the shared experience of barely surviving but of like actually having personalities that kind of complement each other like you were talking about dylan of how you know mm. kaladin's the brooder and shallan's the like just keep it high and light to survive and the two of them together are like oh an interesting perspective of the world and they kind of both come out a little bit more open-minded from the conversation especially kaladin who was very like you're a noble and I hate you and you're dumb. And he's like, oh, wait, 
like she may have had a not great go of things like me that's kind of interesting to think that that could be possible so that was a really fun scene and i enjoyed just our two main characters also getting to spend some alone time together is fun too we know these two characters more than anyone so it's just really entertaining to mm-hmm. see them together and like going at each other i suppose yeah and a much more compelling duo when oh, they're yeah. together than shallan and adolin i mean i just i don't know shallan and adolin the relationship hopefully i don't get any hay for this but a little bit of a nothing burger of a relationship <laughs> for me a little bit Aylin is not my favorite i like character that nothing either, burger has entered our lexicon here on the show <laughs> right that's two straight episodes <laughs> with nothing burger nothing <laughs> Already it was a character in Evercrombie's work. It was um, it was Leo Denbrock's dad. Harrod Denbrock was a oh was yeah described as a, oh a nothing yeah burger. <laughs> His he is a nothing burger, <laughs> but not right. to talk about first yeah. Inland, law, yeah, it's a great work. Inland in himself, I'm not saying he's a nothing burger, but I do think the relationship itself is a bit of a nothing burger for me because mm. it's like. I don't know. They just kind of see each other and they're like, oh, this person's attractive and <laughs> different from the other people that I've seen. And I, and they're already engaged or bet- they say like betrothed or betrothed. Something they betrothed. Were betro- I know um, they were potentially betrothed. I, it wasn't like a um, sure thing, and but it was nah, discussed. But preliminary betrothal Mm -hmm. i forget the exact word for it but uh, and they're just immediately like oh i'm interested in this person and uh, it's i don't know i i don't really understand why besides the surface level like they make sense as a like as a pairing Mm -hmm. like politically they make some well, actually not even so much like why why is shallan really a good fit for Aidlin besides that he's like insulted everyone else uh already yeah, but it's like i don't know she's they're just in a way they're alike in this like keep things light and joke around and mm-hmm. generally good people but I just don't see how they complement each other in any way or in any way that they like make up for the other. For me, like the interesting relationships are these people who complement each other, like the relationship make them greater than the sum of their parts. And mm-hmm. like we're talking about with Calden and Shallan, they have these ways in which, oh, I could totally see how they get along with each other once mm-hmm. they get to know each other. But it, like they fit together like puzzle pieces in uh the sense that Kalan uh Kalan that's the that's the <laughs> that's a celebrity uh I'm sure they already have like a shipping name anyway so uh <laughs> maybe it's Shaladin but uh <laughs> either way Shaladin or Kalan um they uh, like they they make sense because she can keep things light keep them moving and uh while Kaladin can ground them in some semblance of like reality let's talk about the real stuff let's get in touch mm. with it and he's able to help her do that they have this moment in the chasm where they're talking to each other about their past in a way that Shallan has not done at all with uh Adolin. Mm. Uh they just kind of keep this superficial relationship that's based on mm. 
nothing more than like they're nice to each other and they were attracted to each other when they first saw each other. It's like, okay, it's fine. Nothing burger. <laughs> I agree with you. I think there's a little bit of something in between the buns of that nothing burger, though. I have to say, um, <laughs> I'm not. I do agree with you in a lot of ways, but I don't think my sentiment is as decided as yours because I think back to like when Shalon and Yasna are talking on the boat. It's like, oh, I betrothed you to this to Adolin. And Shalon is like, that will literally solve all of my problems. <laughs> like, all of the problems I'm having with my family will be resolved. So right away, he's rich, he's good looking, and they're cordial. And they're under the premise of that they're courting to be married. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of that does a lot of the legwork. I think Calden and, and uh, Shalon needed some alone time to get to that level. But uh, I, I can see why you come off the boat and you see Adolin and he's handsome and he's rich and he's like basically an heir to the throne kind of situation. And he can solve all your family's problems and this and that Why you might have an interest in kind of winning him over and Shalon was kind of like that like I need to like win him over I need to get him to like me this and that and from Adolin's side I can definitely see why he would like her because he keeps remarking how unusual she is and he's she's not like the other girls is she's challenging him and she's Which is the lamest trope <laughs> but it that. reminds me of jazal and Artie. not to do any spoilers for first law but it's a similar thing where this guy is this noble born tropey self-absorbed character flippant character and then all of a sudden you have this mm-hmm. person come in who's not gonna take your crap and you almost like them for yeah. that because it's like you're treat like I start to feel like there's a real relationship here. It's not the superficial nobility nonsense. It's it's something unusual and real. And it is a bit not like the other girl tropiness, but I think in this case it is kind of good. I think Adolin, the whole last book was a flipping womanizer, like forgetting who he's dated, and the woman come up and slap him, and he's like, "What was that about?" And it's so, like to have someone <laughs> who's, I guess. Not afraid to talk about poop and it's like kind of open. I mean, his isn't eyes. that what we're all looking for, <laughs> Charles? Is someone to just sit down and chop it up about pooping in your shard plate? I mean, <laughs> what I what more so. in life could you ask for? I mean, if uh, I, I mean, maybe I'm just like, can you marry someone from like, like a better house? But like, I don't know. Maybe he's like, well, we'll see I think Dalnar at this other. point is like Dalnar at this point. I think is just. Like, you know what? If I can get him married to someone with like a brain, I <laughs> also Yasna wasn't pulling making the arrangement too, so that gets you a little bit of a bonus. Yeah. So. For sure. And she Shalon does a good job of like making her case too. I, I think maybe this was a conversation with Dalinar, um, where she's like, Okay, you know Yasna pretty well. Like, how many wards has Yasna taken on in the mm-hmm. like entire time that you've known her? And the, and the person talking, let's say it is Dalinar, is like, is like none. And it's like, how many have wanted to be her wards? It's like many. And it's <laughs> like, okay, well, what does it say about me that I actually am or what actually was her ward? Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, that makes sense. So. Uh, <laughs> 
I do love I like the Shalon and, and Dalinar interactions. Like she she has a read on Dalinar pretty well. It's like this guy is a pretty straightforward dude. Like he can mm-hmm. he can talk straight to him and he's uh, he'll understand. So Yeah, and she yeah. kinda comes Shalon. through her naivete, which is another kind of thing in this book where she's constantly realizing she's like playing too much of her hand when she's trying to deceive people and she'll like get embarrassed or she'll like realize she said a little bit too much it's like oh i could have said a little less like you know she's always like she's learning how to be like a yes no like a, i'm going to mm-hmm. like be an authority someday this idea of earning that authoritative title even though she's born into nobility uh, and she was trained by asna she, she does keep this humility about her which is interesting also um and this idea of like you know she's really smart but she's also still learning how to play the game kind of like she's still very naive mm-hmm. when it comes to being subtle and like trying to convince people of things or deceive people if they cover things up or what whatever it is it's it's it's, it's all in there with shallan but it's like you know this book was a thousand pages it's like there's so many scenes where she's talking to people like she's talking to oh my gosh that's the slave wagon person is that tavlak or something like that what was her name um are you talking about the, the girl, not the one who was the, mentoring her yeah she like became a mentor to someone and oh it's tin tin t-y-n is that tin yeah, because she's the one me. that's like when right. she was first like washed up on shore from the boat, and then it's like you know you can't actually free those people, right? It's impossible. You're getting them to believe this lie that you promised them, and then oh yeah, tin. Sorry, yeah. I'm seeing it here in the, in the okay. Notes. It was tin. tin. I got my names confused, but uh, yeah. that that moment where it's like you can't like pay off the debts of debts of all these people it's impossible and she's like no i think i can do it i'm willing to try this idea of like she's just trying to step up and become her own person and i guess she's also kind of facing her past at the same time it, it's an interesting progression for for shalon yeah and she she gets there eventually, eventually. i think and she is I think a character that shows development over the time by nature of like adapting other people's characteristics into her own personality. Some uh, mm-hmm. like she takes what she likes about Yasna and starts to embody that in some ways. She takes what mm-hmm. she likes about this character Tin and then tries to embody that in other ways and then eventually using her powers she's she's even reached a point where she's able to take on a totally different personality in Vale which by the way probably would not be my choice for what to call a like a fake person that I'm pretending to be I probably wouldn't be like veil you know it's like a veil like you know my name is incognito (laughs) yes (laughs) bobby incognito that's my alter ego so uh, either way though yeah she takes on this character veil it's kind of interesting where sanderson's going i don't know if he's really pulled it off with the deft yet to this point to 
to make it like too that compelling but mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting that he's toying with this idea of Shallan separating herself from Vale where she's like oh I wish Vale were here because she'd be better equipped for like going through the chasm and mm-hmm. dealing with uh, Kaladin all this stuff uh, where yeah, she's she actually considers Vale a separate person. So something to to monitor is like Shallan's sense of self, and if it's starting to deteriorate. Right, right, and it it, it gets to the point I think with the ghost bloods, right, where she kind of reveals her true identity yeah. at the end. So to your point, well, it gets gets revealed. Right, she she gets exposed. They figured it out. Right, yeah. so. It's interesting that all these kind of other identities are falling apart, and then it ends with her as one of these, uh, you know, Knights Radiant-like characters. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting theme that he explores. I'm looking forward to seeing more of Shallan now that we've got the full story. I'm excited to see her kind of mature a bit and... Uh, I'm interested in this love triangle, man. I gotta say, because I like that it's wow. I didn't like, know you're a love triangle guy, Charles. I mean, when it's there, I think this one's interesting because you have Kaladin starting to admit some feelings towards the end of like, oh, he looked for her in the crowd, and then she didn't look at him, and he was embarrassed and looked away, and hope no one looked at him or noticed him looking, you know, like that kind of mentality because him and Adolin are actually really getting along and Adolin did that you know stint in jail and solidarity and and mm. all that other stuff um which I am enjoying so it's like okay well what happens when you start to put these characters at odds with each other it's again Calden's thing of like between two oaths I guess it's like you have two hard choices mm. like you like um Shallan, and you're a, a good match but then you're also like you're employed to protect Adolin and he's also been really nice to you so I don't know it's interesting I don't think Shallan's really sh- like Shallan showed like a glimmer of like oh Kaladin was interesting he helped me see things in a different she's way and he's kind of good looking like you know there's a little yeah. there's little glimmers so she's like not in the same way that Adolin is like a little more you know, brooding, dark, you know, dark, handsome guy. But uh, she, you know, she's had a little internal monologue about the uh, about potential interest in Kaladin. Do you have a side? Are you are you like me? Are you shipping uh, Shaladin? I'm I'm <laughs> a big fan of Kalan. Or <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's got to be one of those. I'm sure the fans. In the community, no, I, I like Calvin. So. Yeah, let us together. know. That's the me, the winning. Okay, but, so we're uh, on the same page, mm-hmm. and we agree that it's a nothing burger of a relationship <laughs> with Adolin. <laughs> Perhaps, but let's talk about <laughs> Calvin, I guess, because you know I, I still think Calvin is my favorite character. I, I do enjoy mm-hmm. him the most, uh, and his journey through this book is just as interesting i mean i like that now he's become the leader of the guard king's guard or whatever and he's Mm -hmm. got his bridgeman that he brought up with him and he's trying to 
protect the nobility, but he also hates the nobility, and that gets questioned mm-hmm. a couple times. Uh, but at the end of it, he does, like, he is definitely one of the more ignorant characters, And but then he gets stuff thrown in his face, and he kind of comes around a little bit, and I respect him for that. Um, I don't know, what are your thoughts on Kaladin? Yeah, I'm on this reread, for me... So far, Kaladin's definitely sticking out as my favorite. But I remember by the time I finished Oathbringer the first time, um, uh, Dalinar was was my favorite. So mm. I, yeah, I kind of want to see how this how this goes for me on the reread. Um, in part, it's you know the next book. This might not be surprising. Uh, Dalinar gets his time to be the, the to character that gets because we know flashbacks. some of his past already. We've gotten a few flashbacks from him, like where he was too right, and to we get some brother. interesting, like foreshadowing where they say his wife's his uh, you know now deceased wife's name, and it just comes up as like static to him, <laughs> like he can't even hear it, mm-hmm. like. So you get some of these hints that something's very uh, strange about Dalinar's past. Right. We know he was kind of a drunkard, and we know that he, uh, you know, he's racked with guilt over how things went with his brother Gavilar. Right. Although he kind of gets like redemption for that. In, in he here. does but at anyway. the end of this book. He's like, "There's nothing I really yeah. could have done, drunk or not." <laughs> yeah exactly like he's fighting <laughs> seth and he's like oh i would have like, not been able to protect him at all so this didn't matter exactly but anyway uh, we're, we're 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 chopping it up about kaladin so i'll get back to him i i really like his i guess internal battle between like am i a guy that protects people no matter the cost or am i a guy who's willing to give in to the vengeance i desire and credit to sanderson for the way he brings in uh like amaram at the perfect time to uh, i guess be the catalyst for that uh and he also puts his character kaladin in the position that you described where he's got a uh protect the people that he's learned to hate he has to try to trust someone who's still light eyes in dalinar but is at at this point like the most noble dude around so we uh, i think we have a really interesting conflict for kaladin and he's always kind of had the most interesting conflicts and like internal battles going on and uh, yeah, Sanderson puts him in the perfect situation to have that play out. So, he always is between of... a rock and a hard place for sure. But where yeah. he kind of ends up, that like famous line at the end, I will protect even those I oh. hate so long as it is right. That's <laughs> just like something he had been struggling with this whole time with Moash and plotting the king's assassination yeah. and trying to win Sill over in those moments um, and losing Sill. So this is kind of his catharsis at the end. And he, I feel like he's always kind of, his actions have always mirrored that. He's always kind of done those things. Like I, I really enjoyed the, like the, the fight scene, uh, the tournament there where um, Adolin oh. challenged. And was well, that's the most famous line 
uh, from this book comes from that, actually. It's uh, honor is dead, but I'll see what I can do. And that's the, <laughs> that's the that line gives me chills. I freaking love that. And I think uh, it's, uh, it's one that the fan base really appreciates as well. So that's right before he dives in to fight alongside Adolin, who to that point he'd had kind of a mixed relationship with they couldn't really see eye to eye Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's a kind of culmination of uh, this i guess this idea that he's going to still try to do his best to protect but uh it it kind of gets flipped on its head a little bit where when he gets imprisoned after so it's like back and forth with this um this this internal battle yeah right and that's such a great scene where they're that fight scene and this is brand brandon sanderson at his best is writing these kind of action scenes weighing the stakes having the payoffs getting the right situation in place to get there it's masterful like it's so hard to be like and then an epic battle happened when you're trying to write a story (laughs) it's like how do you convey that to the reader how do you get them to feel the stakes and feel the epicness of the situation and sanderson nails this to an extent more than any other author in the game really like we've seen it in mistborn we've seen it in a few other places where these fighting scenes these action scenes they're they're well composed and this and the the challenges are well balanced and the stakes are always there and the situation the implication of it is so good and and this was just this this scene of the fight where first it becomes one-on-one then it's four-on-one then it's two-on-four then it's three-on-four it's it's moving all over the place it really is masterful and it was the most entertained i was throughout the whole book by a long shot like i was i was really pulled in to these scenes and i was just wasn't stopping until I got through it. And then that's what Sanderson can do almost every time is just is hook you in. Mm-hmm. One of the best scenes in the series for sure. And everything you just said, I totally agree with Charles. It's one of Sanderson's strengths. He knows the pieces that he has on the proverbial chessboard. He mm-hmm. knows where to place each of them, where we buy in. And I think he just knows how to write a fight scene too yeah. when push comes and he wasn't to shove. Like, and then uh, Kaladin no intended, like, was so mad he, he transformed into his next form Super Kaladin and he killed them all. It was like, no, he like, the, the stakes changed and he was able to jump in and he stand back to back with Adolin and they were able to fight and you know other people were able to jump in and it was fun, you know? It was like, it wasn't corny. It, it paid off and it was convincing. Yeah. And even the moment where it's like, oh, what's going on with Renarin, where he just basically just starts crying in a corner. (laughs) It's like, uh, it seems like it could be just an easy plot device for Saracen to be like, okay, well, I need him to be a non-factor. He's basically like a damsel in distress, (laughs) Uh, which like what ends up happening is uh, that was actually foreshadowing for Renarin's uh, role as a radiant because he, I believe it was because he touched the shard, uh, the shard blade 
and uh, it was not working for him and it was like doing that screeching in his head mm-hmm. um where he he couldn't do it because that's what happens when you have your own spread they don't like when you use the other shard blade so it's uh that was actually really well done and and mm. foreshadowing in itself and then of course like there's just there's very few fantasy authors if any that can write action the way that sanderson does because mm. not only does he have this ability to convey what's happening that's very clear and like moves the action along um it's uh like he does it in a really beat by beat way but also it's like i don't know it's like entertaining i feel Mm -hmm. like his uh one of his idols robert jordan the way that he would write fight scenes, it felt too like above the action for me in a lot of mm. ways. It's like right. I remember he'd be like, "Oh, I did like Swan captures the squirrel," <laughs> and which is definitely not one. Um, but you're left with this like weird like crane what nesting. Does in that the trees. move? Look yeah, like? exactly. Yes, and exactly. Then he like that's the attack I used. It's like python uh, hissing in the sand you're like oh interesting yes but sanderson's very tech like sanderson we know exactly what's happening it's like so clear and the, but it moves it's like mm-hmm. I, it props to the guy so he sets up the he sets up the pieces in the right place and then he just really delivers on the action of the scene right so, and then what I'd happens to see paladin flubs the whole boon thing which is another great <laughs> moment too where you're like you know kaladin took this idea and this was because kaladin's a character that we obviously see has flaws and it kind of plays out to the advantage of the story a lot of times it's really nice and uh, like i love a good flawed character that's not just like despicable kaladin is like bullheaded in a lot of ways and he's almost too honorable for his own good sometimes it's like of course it's the honorable thing to do to let me fight amaran right now and then they're just like no arrest him what are you talking about and think this guy's crazy <laughs> um it was so good where kaladin just kind of speaks yeah. over adolin to get the boon and then like the next scene of um oh gosh what's his name the the um the guy who, like, Adolin's trying to get the boon against. Um, Sadius? Sadius, thank you. Sadius. And, uh, where he, like, walked away, he's like, that was a close one. <laughs> he's like, that, was, thank yeah. goodness that I didn't have to fight him right then and there. I just got outwitted by Dalinar right. when I thought I had it, you know? And I was like, oh, that's a nice little thing that he wrote in. Th- th- those scenes are funny where he's kind of like, oh, we'll just outwit them later. Mwahaha. Like talking with his wife. <laughs> you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You're doing a very, uh, a very, um, oh, my God. Kramer. Kramer, right? That's the uh, Michael Kramer. Oh, Michael is, Kramer. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking right. Seinfeld. Yeah, I'm Kramer like, and about Kramer. It's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry! <laughs> Jerry! That was a close one, Jerry. Uh, yeah, he... 
Kramer has this way in audiobooks of like whenever he does an evil character, it really does sound like he's twirling his mustache, and he, he did a very good impression. Like, the mustache twirl. Uh, yes, we were. It was like not just the mustache twirl, but the voice. You always do better like voices on the show. Your character work, Charles, is impeccable. But it is very the hours of listening uh, that to the was guy. A, you pick up a little. Something. You're right. <laughs> It's like ah, that was a very close one. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that was this good. weird. That was okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just the way, and I noticed this when I listened to the audiobooks in the Wheel of Time books. I was like, I know this character's evil, like the first word that comes <laughs> out of their mouth because Kramer's doing his evil voice. <laughs> so for any of you audiobooks, tired to the train tracks. Let's get out of here, my hot air balloon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, another place, uh, while we're on the saddiest discussion, let's let's talk about what Adolin does uh, to talk. Speaking of flawed characters here, Charles, mm-hmm. how he just basically murders Sadius in cold blood because he's so sick of his stupid face. <laughs> <laughs> A good motive for murder if I've ever heard one. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> I hate your stupid face. I just love it. The as, book is over. Yeah, die now. It is just this. <laughs> it is just this point. It's like Sadist isn't doing anything worse than everything he's done up to that point. But it's just this point where Adolin can't take it anymore. He's like, I'm so sick of this guy, and he just lets his anger get the. I don't know. Let's his anger get the best of him. I guess is the way to put it. But I, I want to say that because that sounds like it's making a horrible mistake, and I'm like. I was so happy when he was <laughs> killing Sadius because I get this guy <laughs> out of here. <laughs> yeah, when a guy is that committed to plotting against you, it makes sense to kill him when the opportunity presents itself. Like, that guy wants you dead, bro. Yeah. Take him out. Um, yeah, it was just a, it's a nice little loose end that was tied up there nice and neatly. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a that's a memorable moment. But yeah, let's a... not let's not do Calden dirty. Uh, we mm. should probably. Uh, talk some more about his arc uh we we gave shallan her flowers for her character development so mm-hmm. uh calden he he f- does in this internal struggle he does flirt with this idea of assassinating elicar the king mm-hmm. and he's even reaches a point where he's like all right fine like moash tell me what i gotta do to get you in the position and uh we will we will kill the king like or at least you will and i won't stand in your way and the uh, this internal struggle to determine am i a guy who protects or am i a guy who like seeks vengeance and allows this almost like machiavellian stuff to take does place the, does what's uh, right for is, the realm kind of excuse right. like he's a bad king downer would be so much better it's very yeah, it's the that Machiavellian like Tywin. If we're going back to Game of Thrones as an accessible uh, example, like convincing yourself. I don't want to say exactly the line that Tywin says, uh, but he does. Tywin does a bad thing at one point, and he in Game of Thrones he justifies <laughs> it with like this is actually better for the realm. Like, why is doing this worse than uh, doing that? I guess I don't know. I can't say it. But it's a great line. Um, so oh Kaladin is kind of in his head like okay well Elkar's a bad king this actually could work 
to be better for most people. But Syl is an honor spread. And she is, she doesn't see the world through that lens. She's like, you don't like murder people or allow people to be murdered. That can't possibly be like the best way to be an honorable person. You got to find another way. And when he's like not aligning with that, and he basically like is stuck between these two oaths. I think you mentioned that before mm-hmm. Charles, where he's like, "Oh, I'm. I told Dalinar that I would protect, and uh, I told Moash that I would allow murder to happen." So it's like, "Damn, damned if you do, damned if you don't." And Syl just kind of vanishes, or like at first she starts to lose herself, uh, and then she eventually vanishes. And I've always, I don't know, I like Syl a lot as a character. Uh, there's another funny moment I'll bring up in a little bit that seemed to be a uh, like an ode to Wheel of Time as well. Um, oh, yeah, I that's that to right. I told you to bookmark that yeah, when you texted me. Yeah, I was so like, bring that up on the pod, yeah. which is good because we're at right. like an hour, so I'm glad we didn't miss it. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, she yeah she starts to disappear, and um, I don't know. I always find that a hard hard time for me in the reading process because it goes on a long time. And I like her. I like her back yeah. and forth with, with Kaladin. That was a tough loss. And then Kaladin can't do all his cool powers, which is also kind of a tough loss. Um, yeah. yeah. M- missed Syl while she was gone. But it's like, you, you, you were excited when she came back. That's for sure. Um, yeah. No, I agree. Big, big Kaladin fan. He's always so direct in terms of like, have to do the right thing and then that kind of gets him into some trouble and that gets him into some complicated situations where he doesn't know what to do it's an interesting character study there of like this is better for the realm but i've promised not to like plot assassination so what am i gonna do and he even like i like when he gives the shard plate to moash it's like hey he won these things from adolin and then he's like give them away i don't want them i can't be uh, seen to have them and uh that, i thought that was a really interesting point too it's like oh this moash character is about to become a lot more important to the story <laughs> than he was before <laughs> yeah and little did we know yeah and mo- little did we know charles and yeah you get he actually ends up trying to kill kaladin and that whole escape part it's uh yeah, it's a really wacky scene, but yeah, we'll the see. The ending where gets all of it like goes. all the magic stuff really starts to kind of take off, and it's still not fully explained yet. So a lot of stuff is happening, and you're like, okay, um, I guess we'll you know trust in the process on some of these things that are happening. Yeah. Uh, we also get a really awesome fight with Kaladin and Seth. Uh, that is yeah it's this cool it's one of the first real like radiant or like super powered people fight and (laughs) i think it's it's awesome to watch calden able to use his powers to say those next words and take Mm -hmm. on a character that's gotten a lot of build-up as a an incredible fighter and assassin so that was that was a cool scene, and we actually see Kaladin win the fight. 
uh, awesome. obviously there's this sort of like Seth gets brought back to life moment afterward. It's also complicated because Seth doesn't want to kill people. It's that he got in, like he became uh, truthless and has to listen to his master because he um, he said that the Radiants are coming back and then he's fighting a Radiant. <laughs> it's like, wait, I, uh, yeah, it's like, wait, I'm, uh, why am I even doing this? So <laughs> it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see where he goes, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, we should definitely give Dalinar some pop too, but, um, anything Did else you on your the, wheel of time on the, reference you want? Oh to yes, 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 yes. Well, basically what it is, is that Syl like is, gets frustrated with Kaladin and she just starts pulling on her hair. Ooh, I just hit my microphone. I was getting, I was getting really, I was gesticulating just with the hair pulling the, the over hair here. Pulling, yeah, as you do. Yes. Right. So she pulls like on both sides of her hair and Kaladin, he, he literally is like looking at her funny and he just goes that. <laughs> Like, and uh, she's like i saw a woman do it in the market it means i'm frustrated (laughs) so it's like this really weird moment and obviously she doesn't even have like real hair she's just uh you know a spren she's uh pulling fake uh, spren hair but uh, if you're a big wheel of time fan or even if you're just a person who's read Wheel of Time, you can't right. possibly escape without noticing that a lot of the characters, but especially Nynaeve, has this habit of pulling her braid when she's frustrated. Right. And it's I was like, oh my God. Series. Like, yes, very iconic. I was like, this has to be a reference to <laughs> Wheel of Time, you know, Sam has obviously finished the series and uh, he he has it happen and he also has a willingness to point out that's like a weird thing to do <laughs> to show frustration because <laughs> he actually has Calden be like what are you doing like it just has him say that right. so I, I liked that a lot and it was a moment that stuck out it's to me it's a sign of how far after, we've progressed uh, in the fantasy community isn't it we're now writing we female characters in life <laughs> oh zing <laughs> she's a friend okay it's not really I don't even know if friends have genders, but this one does identify uh, as female. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what matters. Uh, it's like, I, it's also like a weird thing with, um, it's like they exist because of how they're perceived by people. Mm-hmm. So that's it's true. like, I guess she she is a woman because that's how she presents to people. Spren spren are complicated spren gender is probably something we don't have the cosmere knowledge to really <laughs> dive into in the right way so no. we'll, we'll keep rolling here we'll Charles. keep rolling because uh, we do have the knowledge to at least react to dalinar's uh story <laughs> in this book good seg thank you <laughs> although i don't know if we get us out of this that, spren, certainly spren gender <laughs> rabbit hole the gender spren not only just spren for everything so you never know but um yeah let's talk about dalinar huh that guy pretty interesting fella wouldn't you say 
that's a worse that's not a great seg uh, <laughs> what you do you down on dalinar charles no that... I, I like dalinar i like dalinar i was just um you know making a, a joke about how bad of a a phrase that was <laughs> you know fumbling the fumbling the transition there but uh, now we're here we're talking about dalinar on the friends like a fantasy podcast so, mm-hmm. thank you for grounding us charles uh, so dalinar i think he's a character that has less of a clear arc than does shalon and uh, kaladin in this one i think he because uh, dalinar he He's kind of already come into himself in a lot of ways. Uh, right. Like by the time we get into this book, he's he's done a lot of seeing what his role is supposed to be. And he's already pretty honorable person. He's trying to do the right things. He's trying to unite everyone. And he, in a lot of ways, he's he is the glue that keeps the story together he is the person uh, you know uniting everyone or at least trying to um but he you know he also has his his foibles or his faults he pretty easily is fooled by amaram uh who you know he's got Calden telling him like this guy's a murderer or this guy's a horrible person and he comes back and right away down there's like you're gonna be the first radiant even though you have no powers whatsoever he's like but you'll look damn good in this cape so it's <laughs> uh yeah it's a uh, it, it's not Dalinar will i think have a stronger performance as a character in in the in the following book but uh, yeah he's uh he's just kind of doing his thing he's trying to get the radiance back together and uh he's he's feeling pretty good by the end with uh actually having figured out that there are radiance among them including his own son including his own son Renard. indeed and he I, I do like these moments where he sees the potential in Kaladin and kind of sticks his neck out for Kaladin a lot and is willing to trust him at some point. This book does make a good point of being like, Kaladin, the privileges that you have as a dark eyes are like unprecedented right now. But because I'm yeah. so noble and I'm so like um, considerate and open-minded, I'm giving you these positions and even when he's upset with him he's like you know I, I recognize you for your talent and your skill and you did save my son from certain deaths so i'm willing to overlook a few things it, it's kind of a nice relationship i think down in this book serves to kind of help Calden out of his his bias in a lot of ways and um this there is this ability to safe people across the the range of nobility and to to be what it means to be honorable a little bit more i think dalinar is a bit more of the matured version of what kaladin is trying to be and so to see the two of them together and to see dalinar have the time to kind of teach kaladin a few lessons about when to like know your situation and when to step out of it has been really interesting and and now that they're all part of the um 
the night's radiant. It's a, it's a nice twist at the end. Yeah. And he... Uh, he has this, like, interesting interaction with the Stormfather, where it's like, mm-hmm. that's the per- the that person in the right way, like, giant spread, basically, <laughs> that is uh, communicating with him and sending visions and stuff, and he bonds uh, the storm father and that's that's a big moment so Mm -hmm. he he in himself is is a knight's radiant by the end and he it's it's cool watching him he he gets some some awesome moments like when seth attacks him the first time he basically like claps the shard blade that's a pretty epic moment so sanderson delivers on that Uh, but he yeah, he's kind of just playing this role of uh, like trying to keep the peace, trying to bring everyone together as much as he can, and he does bounce off of Kaladin in a lot of ways. Um, he does, but he has super open open minded. Uh, yeah, so you gotta, you gotta give him props. For Kaladin, because, I think. Yeah, Kaladin. He definitely gives him some some breaks because of all the things that Kaladin does, uh, and even lets Kaladin do things like yeah, arm a parchment. Right, that's, that's a huge deal. Like some of these things are completely unheard of. It'd be it's easy to think of Dalinar as almost this like conservative dude, and right. meanwhile he'd be like the most liberal person in this <laughs> universe. Like they're very. Um, uh, I think Alethi society can just be very conservative, so mm-hmm. they don't seem like huge deals to us as outsiders. But Dalinar, the other Alethi high princess, have to be looking at him and just being like, what is this guy doing? It's, harming it's been a theme of these it's two like, books. He's so where putting like honor and integrity kind of supersede perceived biases and classisms. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the, especially with Kaladin. Um, one of the main themes of like hey like when we look past our perceived like you're a lower class than me it's like you actually have abilities and you are actually an honorable human being i don't see why we can't work together you know it's kind of like the mm-hmm. the breakthrough of this and being able to see that in other people even if they're not the same class as you is kind of one of the big breakthrough things in terms of like themes for this book yeah, and Dalinar had I to trust Kaladin that. about um, Amaran too, which he didn't for a long time. He's like Amaran. Eventually, he did. Eventually, yeah. he does at the end of the book, right? Where it's like, um, he he's like, oh, you're almost like too squeaky clean. <laughs> it was, I think, Adolin's thing. It's like that guy yeah. is almost too good. You have to <laughs> <Right>. suspect him. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that's that's fair. It I'm with fair. Aelin on that. He's one. like he's obviously super yeah. sneaky because his record is squeaky clean, so he's definitely hiding something. And then yeah. Dalinar kind of exposed him for attempting to, like, assassinate someone for a shard plate or a, a, um, a, a shard blade. He tried to steal. So uh, they had the um, uh, the character that 
they perceive as being insane, but is actually one of the God, if I'm getting the word right, heralds, I believe, okay. um, right. who had their own shard blade and they're basically keeping them in this uh, like insane asylum style place and uh, Dalinar bonded the shard blade to himself so like no one really could steal it but Amaram tried to like uh, but I think he let the guy like have it like let the herald have it so he could almost lure Amaram into stealing it so once he saw like oh this guy's willing to do that like I'm now I'm believing Kaladin who's never like lied to me before and he basically calls him a murderer and a traitor. Amran does be like so him. what dude like us light eyes gotta stick together and Downer was like no <laughs> not having it so sort of I mean <laughs> yeah to some extent I mean I mean I, I don't know Amran. It was a kind of weird interaction because he just like leaves, and then I think it's Kaladin. It's just like, dude, like you just gonna let him go? And Dalinar's like, yeah, well, it'd be a whole thing to try to like <laughs> execute him. <Right. laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> that will be, I'm sure, another very interesting <laughs> plot point in a future book. Yeah, oh. he's too, definitely lives another day so we'll see uh, um so actually i also yeah, remember think... while we're talking about dalinar the like why yeah. are adolin and shallan being even endorsed there was also this idea of dalinar being concerned that adolin could be manipulated for political gain if he was still seen as single so taking someone from the outside and mm. pairing her up with him kind of took that risk out of the game i i do kind of remember that now as why Dalinar was willing to let that relationship grow because I said like why don't you just marry a nobler house it's like well all these people can't be trusted now things are getting crazy in our house so bring in this outside stranger and get my son tied up in that so we can't be like tempted to be courted by someone with bad intent I guess uh, for being abused for political gain kind of a thing I do remember a little bit of that just to give some credit to Dalinar and to this um, Adelon uh, relationship here, which I'm still Team Kaladin, by the way, but just an important thing to Shaladin. <laughs> yeah. So let's also talk about. So Steth was coming to try to assassinate Dalinar, actually, not yes. the king. And uh, all, all of this is at the orders of Teravangian who that was kind of an interesting subplot charles and one i wanted to get some of your thoughts on because there's this idea of the diagram right so Vanyan has this weird thing where sometimes he wakes up and he's really smart and sometimes he wakes up and he's really dumb and sometimes he wakes up and he's super like average and (laughs) at some point he had this like aberration of a day where he came up with this diagram which is just like predicting everything that's going to happen in the future and it's like almost always right there's kind of like branching off points but super hard to interpret um so they spent a lot of time on a smarter day trying to interpret it and anyway this idea of this uh, prophecy that has been figured out and 
it does have these slight deviations and uh, i'll say there is a kind of like fork in the road situation of like if dalinar uh, becomes like a warmonger then let him live if he starts <laughs> trying to like make peace with everyone you gotta kill this guy um but anyway charles you read a book a while back that you told me about and i, I think it was like isaac asimov or, the or someone series. right that yeah did the, was this giving you those kind of vibes to it and if so kind, yeah, speak kind to that of, a little bit. i thought it was you know the foundation series is interesting i'll just really quickly i know we're like pretty much past time but really quickly it's idea of this guy he was such a brilliant um like visionary and i forget what the science was but it's almost like a social thing where he knew so much about math and so much about the human condition that he could predict history and so he recorded moments of himself speaking almost like time capsules like in a thousand years play this message or no it was just like a it was just a box and you never knew when it was going to come on but he recorded these messages and scheduled them to play and then the whole Mm. book is just all these times in the future of when that machine came on and the guy was like if this happened then here's what you need to do and if this happened then here's what you need to do and people were like oh interesting then sometimes people forgot about it and sometimes you know it was just a really interesting piece so i do kind of get those similar um vibes i mean that was very sci-fi and way more into like how technology and society would progress over very long periods of time. But it is kind of this unique thing. I did like Televangine being like, I could wake up at a varying level of intelligence and who knows what I'm able to capture on that day. Um, But that idea of being able to predict the history with a few key caveat moments was certainly um, reminiscent of the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov, which I would recommend. It's a fun, it's an interesting read. But... um, yeah, in this case, it's a little bit more unique because it's stuff happening in like the immediate, in the immediate future, not so much like thousands right. of years. And they're like decoding it, which I think wasn't a part of the Asimov way of doing it. But right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about it because yeah, I, they're similar. It's true. I remember you describing that book, so I was like, Charles has to be thinking about. <laughs> I was thinking of it as you were talking. I was like, I should bring that up, and then you asked me. I was like, Oh, okay, good. <laughs> That's where we're going. Yeah, no, for sure. There are those moments, and anyone that was interested in that premise should read the Foundation series. It's a lot less pages than this, but. It, um, uh, <laughs> Uh, on that topic i read a, on the copper mind uh that the working title for words of radiance was the book of endless pages <laughs> but which was like and like unironic <laughs> like that was because you know the titles are like book names um <laughs> right and words of radiance is a book in in the book uh, so the one he was going to use was the Book of Endless Pages, but then Brandon decided to rename it due to the irony of the book having over a thousand pages. Uh, good decision. Yeah, I <laughs> think so too. Although we could have had some really good jokes at the beginning of this of this conversation, but we had yeah. But by that jokes. point, they would be so worn out. Yeah, you know how many people would have made jokes Ooh, by. <laughs> yeah, but we do get. I did just see Wakanda Forever. Which was oh. two hours and forty minutes. So wow. I, I, I am. I'm gonna be up all night with a pen and a pad trying to make a joke out of uh, like <laughs> Wakanda forever. Am I right? Like forever. <laughs> Get it? So I, More you know, like that, stuck that in this theater forever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you like, know, it would have been called the book of really was pages. Wakanda forever. 
But if you took yeah. out all of the moments about people telling Shallan how clever she was, it would have become the book <laughs> of a very specific, limited, and under a thousand pages. Right. Which it would be the doesn't book have of quite the same ring pages. to it, but yeah, book of 152 yeah. pages. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes the so, book of 60 percent uh, less pages <laughs> <laughs> all right charles that's well, a callback i think we gave it was yeah and it could have been if we really just like closed it out it would have been like bookends you know it would have been like bookends right at the are beginning. we not closing so, it out what else do we need to mention we're, we're getting close i yeah i think we want to touch on the idea of uh, Yasna coming back at the oh, end. Oh, yeah. It's kind Yasna. of this, like, post-credits oh, scene. Oh, reminds feel. me of some like, other I, don't know. I, I wanted to make. Oh, my God, there's so much to say. Um, Yasna. Uh, I mean, I'll say, it's it, there's nothing wrong with us doing an hour and a half or even a little bit more on a book that is over a thousand pages. For sure, for sure. Um, there's a lot, so, of, yeah, a lot of meat I, on I mean, bones here. Exactly. So, I, I think the the listeners will understand. Right, These right. are also people down to read a thousand plus page <laughs> I mean, book. If so Adel and I think they're not going to be like nothing burger than the conversation we could have from this book is one of those like you see on the food network, the guy has to eat a burger that's got like uh, 20 pounds of meat on it and then you have to eat it in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the kind of Charles, burger. back in our hometown, <laughs> you remember American Burger, Rest in Peace, Rest used in to peace. have a challenge where I can't remember how much burger it was you had to eat, but Four you could patties. get your name on the wall. Yeah, Charles, did you ever get your name on the wall? I had my burger. name on the wall and I had a star because I ate two. Oh, you don't wow. know who you're talking to, right? Now. <laughs> and wow! That, and that was, you ate I remember, two? the most brutal. Like I in one sitting? Two. I think to, to get the red star I in one sitting. Yeah, I think. In so you ate you ate two burgers consisting of eight patties in one I mean, sitting. They're thin patties, but it was a lot of food, bro. That is... I went for the challenge specifically. And I remember those last couple bites where your body's just like rejecting the food is <laughs> the most uncomfortable I've ever been eating. And I'll never like push myself like that again. That was, was, it was the mo- Oh, well, there was also Charles, you have a history of, of trying to take what? on challenges of eating because there's also the going. famous the time wings, the wings, where, where yeah, <laughs> when we're in and New Orleans. And because I knew where the wall you was, claimed I gave up way you before the wall, but. Yeah, um, you'd never make the same mistake again that you made at American Burger. I mean, I got to like 30 of the wings and I was like, I could push into the 40s, but I don't know if I'm hitting 50. <laughs> That's so far. Yeah, um, that was the bet. So I was like, we got probably a hundred, a hundred wings or something because it was you, me, and catering your brother, Chris. Size. Shout out to Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was like who? So I bet Charles he could not eat fifty wings, and we have a picture of this. So I mean, maybe I'll post it. You've only uh, posted like again. 50 I believe times I brought this up in years. a Mistborn episode <laughs> way back too. So yes. this only comes up during Sanderson discussions. <laughs> um, but Charles thought he was lift. Am I right? And he thought he could just eat. <laughs> there we go. He could just I could just eat and eat, and mm-hmm. then. Yeah, there's a picture of this. It is so many wings, 50 large wings. Betty could they eat 50 of too. them. So, you know, it was, they were breaded. It was serious. It was serious. It was serious. And I yeah, I mean, this is a man. I'm looking at a man who ate 
eight patties across two burgers in one sitting. So this is not a man who goes down easily in these food eating competitions. But yeah, the the bet was whoever won, you know, if you ate 50 wings, then I pay for the entirety of the meal. And if you couldn't, then you pay for the entirety of the meal. But what no one likes to talk about is that somehow your brother Chris weaseled his way into a free meal <laughs> no matter what. So that sounds about the, right. the, the true mastermind, yes, is, is your brother Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a Sanderson character anyway. right there. That'd be quite the twist. It's like I win either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Michael, Michael Kramer's voice for Michael Chris Kramer would be like, and then I will Chris. win no matter what. Uh, free wings for me, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, any anyway, uh, Yasna came back at the. Uh, yeah. y- well, Yasna came back, and yes. uh, you said that reminded you of other points. Yes, you yes, to make, yes. But... So, like, okay. We've read a lot of Sanderson over the decades, right? I've read The Wheel of Time. I've read his early works. And, and to read something that's much more recent, there's some interesting developments with Sanderson that I really like. And one of them is kind of his more, like, his more openness to show more direct violence than ever before. One of the scenes that reminds me of it is, you know, watching Yasna get stabbed through in front of Shalon's eyes. Yeah. And then the other one is when Shalon is like strangling her dad. It's very macabre and very brutal. And it's direct. Like sometimes like in Mistborn, you'd walk into a room. It's like, and the she's room... like singing during it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry to interrupt. It's she's okay, like dad. singing. And like, like he's like kind of is... awake too. Like he thought like she thought yeah. that she poisoned him. And he turned out to like be coming back slowly. So he's like just conscious enough to realize he's getting strangled. Like it's very um, it's so traumatizing. It's a lot. And I was yeah. impressed. I was like, go Sanderson. Because he would used to like I remember in Mistborn's like and then they walked in and there's blood all over the walls and you're like well you know it would have been nice to see some of that you know he kind of always like had the camera off in another direction when violence was happening and this was like a very like camera focused well like in. gruesome violence yeah gruesome violence and this was gruesome i mean she's strangling he's always willing dead. to show some but yeah i thought this was a lot for a sanderson book and i think it's a trend a trajectory that he's going that i really liked to see and a lot of that had to do with the yasna scene at the beginning i was like okay like this was a character i thought was going to be around for a long time Mm -hmm. and she's gone and i was like cool that's actually interesting and a a good inciting incident for shalom to be cut too soon from her connection to her mentor and how is she gonna kind of sink or swim in these moments um, and then like she just, she got run through, dude. Like the, the I think the description was like the yeah. so like she was on the ground and the dude brought the sword like through her and into like the ship. And you're like, oh man, she got run through. And clearly, Shalon's recalling it as like I saw the sword go through her heart. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this sh- should have been unambiguous, right? She's dead. but anyway, go on. And and so that was great. And then this the strangling scene we've already talked about. So then to get to where you were going with the ending with yasna yeah so if you stayed until the post credit scene <laughs> you saw a wit like talking to the a doctor bunch of strange kind of portal opens <laughs> yeah right and then yasna shows up who's been gone this entire thousand 
plus page book. So you do have time to settle in by um, what Samuel Jackson, which is a weird casting choice, (laughs) but it really ties the whole movie universe together. I got to (laughs) say. Yeah, definitely. So she, yeah, she comes back and it's been a thousand plus pages. You've had time to settle in to like, oh, she's actually gone. Because it does have the feel of like, oh, I can't believe Sanderson just brutally murdered this character <laughs> that it felt like he was setting up for a lot much larger arc. Oh, and yeah. I'll say that's not really, I think a lot of times when Sanderson kills a character, it feels like, okay, this makes sense now. This is the end of their arc. And mm. part of what was interesting about the Asna like uh, you know now end up being a fake out but the idea of yasna dying that early is yeah what you were talking about charles it's it's unexpected and it's cutting the strings uh, that were attached to shalon uh too soon or or not too soon from a writing perspective but too soon from like a perspective of Sean having the opportunity to really learn everything right. that she should learn to grow as a character. And those are interesting setups. Mm. Uh, and, and I really liked it too. Charles. And the whole so first I, book I was, is like, she's finally become the pupil of Yasna and yeah. she can finally learn these things. And it's like, Nope, she's dead now. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I always have mixed feelings in these kind of moments, but I'm the kind of reader where I almost, root for the story to be good like oh or at least enjoyable over a lot of times rooting emotionally for like a character i like to live mm-hmm. um sometimes i'd rather a character i like to die if it feels right than have that character just keep living because i like them and yasna i think falls into that category for me where i felt like it was an interesting development I liked Sanderson's willingness to just pull the trigger on that. And then after going through, you know, it happens really early in the book, after going through a thousand plus pages, I think, or or close to it, of her being gone, to bring her back, I don't know, it felt a little like a cheap resurrection uh, ploy. And I, I don't know, I was like, yeah, Sanderson, like, you're, you're better than that. Others might have other opinions, but that's how I felt. Hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm not really dead. Through the powers of unexplained magic, I'm back yeah. and better than ever. And I, I'm sure Sanderson is going to continue to develop what was happening in that epilogue and how she was able to come back and, and make it an exciting thing. But to me, it was like, you created such a powerful moment ripping this character away from us too soon. You know, it was it felt like a loss for the story to take it away it was a bold choice and then it kind of undercuts some of the boldness when you bring her back i mean you, right. at least you didn't bring her back in the 11th hour and it's like and then yasna the white rose up and saved everybody <laughs> and with this with this army of fresh troops she 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 stormed the yeah. uh she marched over the parshendi and won the day you know it's like that didn't happen yeah um but uh, she is brought back in a very like marvel end credit scene kind of way so you're like eh, well i'll see where it goes i'm not particularly excited about it i kind of liked her being dead but she is a good character and i wouldn't mind 
yeah. you know, more of her. So I'm open to it. And like in Sanderson, we trust, you know, I'm, he's yet to let me mm. down really truly. So we'll see where it goes, but I don't think it's worth that moment. Like we got to read that whole book thinking that moment was true. And the whole book was written that way. Like Yasna's gone and Shalon did have to go through her own thing. And then that we got that. So if you want to bring Yasna back, I don't think it undercuts too much of what we've already experienced, but it does make us question like, so who can really die and who's not like in books? I'm like, okay, if I see the body, then that person is dead, bro. But in this, it's like, okay, you can see them get run through in the heart and they can still come back. Interesting. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think there's a lot of magic that still has to be explained. Like the book can get, at least for me, the book got kind of intimidating at times, especially with like the um, the interludes and like this book went deeper into the magic than the Way of Kings did. I felt like so there's a lot of extra magic stuff to learn. And it wasn't like Mistborn where it was very digestible and and played out through the action. Like there's a lot of ominous stuff going on. This is magnum opus. He's building up a lot of things. He's he's not making he, he doesn't want you to understand everything right away and he's okay to wait a thousand pages to explain everything because it's all part of his masterwork his massive web the biggest web he's ever written and it's all going to come together so uh, that's a little bit intimidating at points but i don't think sanderson will ever lose trust of the of a reader like me who who's like kind of bouncing in between his books and not studying it super seriously and i, and I know he'll um, still make it entertaining for me. It, it just kind of felt like in some of those moments with like Yasna coming back and a lot of the other magic stuff going on in this book, I'm like, do I fully understand what's happening here? Like, is this supposed to make sense or Yasna's just back now? Like, I don't, I don't know. And that kind of makes me, that happens a lot. Like it happens in something like, um, what is it? I'm looking at Dead House Gates here. Well, Malazan. It's kind of like that, where it's like, am I supposed to understand everything right now? Like, is, is this what's happening? Um, well, yeah. And usually those are like Erickson and Sanderson are like the two most different authors in terms of the reading experience <laughs> right, possible in right, terms right. of Sanderson making it so accessible. And Erickson, the Malazan series, mm. is uh, known for being incredibly dense and mm. uh, uh hard to decipher so right. um yeah there are moments but it, it's like you said charles and sanderson we trust uh mm-hmm. you know that whenever he does uh do something with when it comes to the world building and the magic system that seems uh, hard to understand at first that he'll he'll get you there he'll help you understand because he is so respectful of the reader and the reader experience and you also said charles that you know it's going to be entertaining i think that's a guarantee we have this setup where uh, you know the the everstorm is here and uh, we got that really intense showdown with the parshendi and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot of Parshendi that got slaughtered. We got all those Eshenai point of views leading up to it and culminated like this. Most of the people are able to escape, uh, but Everstorm has been summoned uh, and looks like we've got some mass destruction on the way. <laughs> so uh, don't worry, there's going to be a lot of to deal with for our heroes 
in Oathbringer, but uh, I'm excited for, for now. it, man. I mean, the, the Stormlight Me Archive. We're gonna dive is, in quick too. We're gonna dive in, and the Stormlight Archive yeah. is just one of those series in modern fantasy it's one of the very few that there's just always buzz it's still ongoing like there's still a few more books to read and it it, it, i'm excited to be caught up i always felt like this was such a huge hole in my fantasy reading uh library that i'm I'm, (laughs) these giant thousand plus page holes in my reading library that i was just um waiting for the moment to get into and i'm glad we're doing it and it's it's some cutting edge stuff from sanderson it's i I feel like i'm watching him kind of you know put together his his masterpiece you know i just see the frantic artist making this the like expanding his ambition wider than he's ever done before and that's exciting to see too so i'm in i'm in for it let's see where it goes yeah i'm in for it too and listeners You'll be in for an episode <laughs> on Oathbringer before too long, maybe. Um, Hopefully. Uh, I mean, we've got some other stuff to read uh, coming up, too, but uh, we're not going to make you wait as long as we did between The Way of Kings and Words of Radiance. Mm-hmm. We're going to get this one out to you probably within a month or so. So uh, that's accurate, right, Charles? So uh, Maybe m- less than two months, but probably longer than a month. The or so part is very okay. important. <laughs> the, 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 we or were, so. Or so. Emphasis yeah. on the or so. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much what we what we have for you. I hope you all enjoyed this one. I, mm-hmm. I always love talking about Sanderson's work. He gives you so yeah. much to talk about. And I think it's the, the one word that comes to mind most for me is satisfying that's what i think of when i think of sanderson's work because Mm -hmm. he delivers on everything that he sets up in a way that uh, you're gonna feel good about how it all came together even if it's tragic in some ways or bittersweet in other ways it's just like uh, you feel like that's a story well told and the promises he set up he he followed through so i think and that and that's in contrast to even some writers that we love their work, but they don't always leave you feeling satisfied. The emotion right. of satisfaction, Sometimes even when the writing's great. Brand, Sometimes, yeah, like that. I'm sure Charles, you're thinking of like, yeah. I mean, we like we love absolutely love Joe Abercrombie's work. You mentioned Joe Abercrombie earlier. We've interviewed him. He's a super nice guy, and. Uh, that being said, he intentionally leaves you dissatisfied at time in service of trying to like make points with his story and kind of finish it in a way that's really true to the characters and what they would actually do and feels realistic. You have to be realistic about these things, Charles. You sure so, do. Uh, yeah. So there are times where, yeah, it, uh, you don't feel that even in books by authors we love and i just know when i'm cracking up a saracen book uh, you know be it a novella that's like 200 pages or so uh, or 
one of these giant chihuahua killers that's over <laughs> a thousand pages. I'm going to leave feeling satisfied. And uh, I, I do on this one, Words of Radiance. I'm sure you do too, Charles. And listeners, I hope you feel satisfied with our coverage of it. Well said. You know, Brandon Sanderson's always delivered on a smaller scale. It's hard to think of like the Mistborn trilogy as a smaller scale, but it is. And now to see that kind of skill and aptitude and consideration taken into the epic fantasy world with these thousand page tomes, it's exciting. And I'm and I'm I think he's gonna do something with these bigger series that his predecessors haven't been able to do. And I'm I, I'm excited to see him finish it. You know, he's gonna get compared to people like Robert Jordan, <laughs> Steve Erickson, like these guys that have written big thousand page door stoppers like 12 books like the kind that like hardcore epic fantasy fans love and now that sanderson's stepping into that fully on his own yes he finished um he finished uh the wheel of time but now he's fully stepping into it into his own i think seeing his style and his ability to deliver like you've described focused in on this epic story is going to be something for the fantasy books i really do i think and i'm excited to continue the journey <laughs> like i i don't know i think oh, he's going to change the game something like, it, it's exciting yes. to see he already has changed the game for in sure. a lot of ways Fair. i mean he had the most successful kickstarter of all time right i mean this is a guy who is really doing his part in bringing fantasy to the forefront, to the mainstream. And I think something that can get lost in people's coverage, at least in our like niche fantasy communities mm-hmm. at times, it's all like, uh, it's of course awesome to support uh, like authors that aren't as big as Anderson mm-hmm. as well. But a service that Brand Sanderson is doing is bringing so many people into reading the genre and mm-hmm. those people then end up reading a lot of times uh, some of these other books that don't get the same amount of pop in the mainstream. So when I see Sanderson having that level of success, that level of popularity, I just think it's so great for the genre overall mm-hmm. and, and we're happy to hopefully be contributing to that. That's well said, Dylan, and um, I, I think he's going to continue to contribute even more. Like the guy just doesn't stop. So super excited to see what the future yeah. brings. And in terms as of as Michael what, Jordan once said, the roof is the ceiling. <laughs> or did he say the ceiling is the roof? It was one of those. Did he say that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it's like it's like his Hall of Fame induction <laughs> speech, and he just like at one point he's you know he's trying to be like inspirational. And he just, like, toward the end, he was like, the roof is the ceiling. And it's just, like, this weird moment where it's, like, for a brief second, you think, like, wait, that, that, wait, does that mean something? And it's like, <laughs> no, that doesn't mean anything. Is that deep or is that just a statement? <laughs> yeah. yeah, let me, it's like, I'll see. I want to get, it's almost definitely the roof is the ceiling or the ceiling is the roof. Let's see if, um. Michael like Jordan the said, the ceiling is the roof. Oh, he said the ceiling is the roof. Ah. The ceiling is the roof. 
So the ceiling is the roof for There's Brandon Sanderson. There's only one Jordan in my mind, and it's Robert Jordan. And he said more eloquent things than that. I love Michael Jordan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, he, he did say more things, more eloquent things than that. But Michael Jordan has also said more eloquent things than that. Um, and he's I also think just won like a almost lot of anyone games who has too, spoken. So you got to give him that. Yeah, he's got that over Robert Jordan. Yeah, Robert so, Jordan. I mean, almost anyone who's spoken. Yeah, almost anyone who's spoken has said something more eloquent than the <laughs> ceiling is the roof. So <laughs> well, it's a it's a pretty low that. bar. <laughs> it sounds deep though. Like it's kind of inspirational. It does. I'm feeling good about it. That's part of the beauty of it, and it was I think in his like Hall of Fame um inductions uh maybe it wasn't it was definitely trying to be inspirational though Um, you know what else i find inspirational our sweet sweet outro music what do you say we get that pumping (laughs) we should probably get that pumping once we've gone into discussion of nba greats you know that we have probably digressed to the point where the episode should end so let's get that sweet sweet outro music pumping Charles. All right, here we go. Thank you all very, very much for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, let us know. Come and follow us over on social media. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and the FTF Podcast with the number one at the end on Twitter. We'd love to... Uh, talk to you and uh, you know the follow helps a lot greatly appreciate that now Dylan if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even more than just following us on social media what can they do toss five stars to our podcast you can now do that on Spotify it's just two clicks at the top of our Spotify page where you listen so really awesome if you can do that you can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts uh, and and everyone you know this stuff is super helpful for us we're just this uh we're just two friends putting this together on our own little indie podcast with no no corporate back or anything we're demonetized we, we just do it for the love of the game for the love of the game uh, unlike michael jordan <laughs> who did it for the millions and millions and millions of dollars and the fame so, and the fame as well so we don't do it for either of those things. We do it for you, lovely listeners. So rating and reviewing is great, but just listening is more than enough. Thank you so much for doing that. Well said, Dylan. Just listening more than enough. You guys are awesome. Thank you for making it all the way to the end of this extra lengthy uh, Chihuahua killer of an episode. Um <laughs> We appreciate it. This will it. kill an audio chihuahua. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so thank you all so, so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.